Welcome to the Hemp Empowerment Project. We are your hosts, Anthony and Nicole Lucido. Our goal is to share the amazing opportunities within the hemp industry and how it can benefit your life. This morning, we have with us Jennifer. She's a sustainable architecture designer builder with 20 years of experience in low carbon natural building and high performance green construction. Jennifer has a passion for responsible local, local material resource use, a deep understanding of collaborative culture, and a commitment to change the paradigms of the building industry. Jennifer, I know people are always joking or they're just uneducated. What do we say to somebody when they say, well, are you just going to smoke that hemp house? <laughs> so um, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, and I was just watching the uh, Home for Hemp or building, I forget exactly the name of the, uh, of the documentary by... Is it Bringing It Home? Yeah, bringing it home, and and it was the the Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that too. And, you know, I it was the first time. I don't watch TV. I, I lived in an intentional community for twelve years. We didn't have TV, so it was my first time to hear the joke. And quite honestly, I laughed. I thought it was hilarious, <laughs> and and of course, like we have to get past that humor. And in fact, uh, the humor helps build the bond. Because we have a common understanding of what hemp is, or we have a common understanding of what we think hemp is in the same way that we have a common understanding about what we think hempcrete is. Like every time I talk to somebody about hempcrete, whether it is a lay person or a structural engineer, they're imagining a very dense, heavy material that goes sub great, meaning below the, below the level of the soil. And that's just not the way that we're using hempcrete because hempcrete is not a heavy, dense, subgrade material. It's actually a medium density, somewhat light. Like if I'm, if I have a big bucket, a five gallon bucket of hempcrete, I'm carrying it with one hand. I'm carrying two of them. I could carry four of them if I wanted to. And it's just not the, the mental picture that we think of when we think of the word hempcrete. So we have to build a framework and a language and a shared understanding of what hemp is as, an, as a building material and what hempcrete is as a insulation and walling mass that creates a thermal envelope and is a viable building product for new and renovation construction. Very nice. Have you ever had the opportunity to stay overnight in a hemp home? I have a shop with lots of hemp in it. And, um, and so in, in by, by terms of a thermal envelope, no. However, I built a timber frame straw bale cabin and lived in it for 12 years. Um, and so I understand natural materials. Hemp is actually very new on the field and we are still developing. In fact, we just finished, we're, we're, we finished the install of the hempcrete. We've finished the exterior lime plaster uh, of the very first hempcrete house in Massachusetts. And you can bet I'm going to ask Shelby, the builder, if I can stay in it overnight. But um, <laughs> so that's the thing. There's there's less than a hundred in this country. They're just not that many. And I was really excited right before COVID hit. We were about to go to the International Hemp Building Association Symposium in England this last spring. And I was super excited because I was going to hang out with the Alex Sparrow and <laughs> learn and work at UK Hempcrete and or at least work with them at UK Hempcrete and get to get to really get my hands in it because we just don't have that many projects here in the United States yet. But, you know. COVID, re COVID reality hit. So I am still waiting just like so many other people. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting that you ask that because my business partner and I have Hempstone, which is a uh, consulting and, con and construction firm. And we are wanting to create a space that is a hempcrete building that people can come and stay overnight because there is there is a, a bit of a disconnect. And I'll be honest, I was one of the disconnected people. I've been doing natural building for 20 years. But to me, natural building means let's use what's local 
abundant, and renewable. And I'm from Missouri. There's no hemp being grown in the early <laughs> aughts, in the early 210s. Yeah. What we had was a whole bunch of straw. We had clay on our site and we had local timber. So that's what we built with. And it's really only been since 2018 when we were able to go beyond individual pilot projects and start using, start growing hemp. And of course, we can bring in uh, hemp from Europe, and we do. Uh, as building professionals, we do that. But it doesn't necessarily follow the strict tenant of the local part of mm -hmm. local, renewable and abundant, certainly abundant, certainly renewable, but the local is the third and I'd say as important critical part of the trifecta. And so that's the real opportunity here with, with hemp and somebody has, there has to be a pool of people that develop that industry and we are part of that developing industry. But the goal is of course, to support local building material use where it's appropriate. So we are working with the National U.S. Hemp Building Association to help foster uh, the creation of the hemp building industry. And we recognize we live in New England. I'm in Western Massachusetts. There's not a lot of open wide fields that are appropriate for large scale industrial growth of, of hemp. And so we will be limited in our capacity to have precisely local. So we're looking at regional. But, you know, we have, we have, we have significant, in the United States, we have significant acres of hemp being grown uh, from the deep south all the way up to the northern edge, right up into Canada, and all the way up into New England, bordering New York and, and starting to be into Vermont. And so it is certainly possible, but we're still developing that. Mm -hmm. Yep. We're a bit behind. I want to go back to, you said an envelope. So if our listener doesn't understand what an envelope is when you're talking about building, can you explain? <laughs> yeah, sure. It's not quite a piece of paper, but in some ways it is. <laughs> let's, let's take the, let's go ahead and take the envelope analogy. Like imagine a piece of paper you've got, you've gotten your letter and you open that, you open up the envelope and then you look at, see what's inside. So imagine instead of a, a 2D sort of plane where you've got the envelope and it's, and it's flat, Imagine that envelope as a cube. And that is exactly the way to think about it with a house. So the exterior walls, the roof, and the foundation, the, the bottom edge of the foundation, whether that's a concrete slab or just the footer going all the way down to the, to the slab and the foundation, that's called your envelope. And everything inside of it is all the interior. That would be your letter, for example. Perfect. And, you know, you talked about having 20 years experience in natural building. What drew you to hemp as a building resource? Um, well, hemp really didn't come into my radar until after the 2018 farm bill, because like I said, I was, I, I, I was growing, I was using what was locally available. And we're, we're taking a bit of a leap. We are growing in Western Mass and in Vermont, we are growing CBD. We're not growing um, fiber. Mm -hmm. And fi industrial fiber is what you're typically using for hemp herd. However, we see the potential for it to grow in our region. Uh, throughout New York, throughout Pennsylvania, it's possible to be growing it at a slightly smaller scale. And I think there is something, we should come back to this point, but there is something to be said for the, the vitalness of being able to grow different crops at not such a huge industrial scale. Uh, but let's come back to that. Okay. So for me, the hemp really came on the radar uh, twofold. One is a name that you might know. And if you don't, I highly recommend you learn it. It's Chris Magwood. Chris Magwood runs the Endeavor Center in Ontario. And he has also been doing sustainable building for about the last 20 years. And he is also um, very committed to using local, renewable, abundant materials. And so he played with hemp because his farmer his farmer neighbor actually had a big bale of it and said, hey, I have this hemp. 
isn't there something you can do with this? <laughs> and so he tried it and he realized that it was very resistant to rot. It, it, the, the chips that are made, in case you've never seen hempcrete, basically it kind of looks like wood chips. The hemp from a stock, the, the hemp herd that's in a stock is very similar to softwood. So it's very similar to a fine fir, fir spruce. And so it has a similar texture. It has a similar density. It has, um, and it has a lot of resilience. Plus, it's even more rot resistant. So he played with it. He liked it. And he has continued to play with it when it is when it is available in his region. And when it's not, he goes to something else, usually straw bale. And so I, I came into the awareness about it from, from that. And then we had a, a local professional gathering in Western Massachusetts. And my, not my business partner at the time, but Tom came and introduced Hempstone as a hempcrete provider. And I, and I was pretty intrigued. And my first question as a natural builder was, wait, now, how about the fact that it's not local? And that's when I learned, really, that we're starting from the ground. We lost all of our historical knowledge when we decided to make hemp illegal. And luckily, we haven't, but we are having to now import that knowledge and import those um, strains of plant in order to rebuild our knowledge. So it's, for me as as a builder, I'm fundamentally a builder. I'm a design builder, but fundamentally I have to build. It's not just a profession. It's, it's like a, it's in my DNA. Like I literally have to build. <laughs> and, and so for me, I was like, well, I want to build with the best material. But when I started looking into hempcrete and I start, and so I, I mentioned that I've been building straw bale timber framed houses and I've, uh, I've done rammed earth. I've done cob. I've done uh, clay slip straw. I've done, I've done the whole gamut. And I, I looked into hempcrete and I started to see how it has specific characteristics that you don't get from other materials. And I have to say the winning material, the winning submaterial in this beautiful biocomposite that is hempcrete, hempcrete is simply hemp and a lime-based binder, is the lime. The lime adds a lot. And I have a lot of experience with lime because every time we would build a straw bale house, we'd, we'd cover it in lime plaster. And I'm one of those crazy people who loves lime. I mean, who loves <laughs> caustic materials that can burn your skin? I mean, that would be me. Hello, yes. <laughs> you know, pick me, please. That sounds like the material of my choice. So I love lime. I have an affinity for it. I, I love the material as a plaster. I, I just really enjoy it. And, and what it does when you mix it, when you basically coat each hemp herd in lime, it creates a very robust building material that doesn't rot it mitigates moisture really well it's it actually stores heat so it's adding some thermal mass um it regulates humidity it uh deters pests it's anti it's antibacterial it's just got a lot of awesome cool things going on and it makes a solid form and so you end up having in this one material hempcrete this sculptural material that you can shape in any width within reason mm -hmm. and you can shape in any form and and it becomes a 3d workable natural healthy safe material okay so i should probably say i should probably clarify the caustic and safe because you can't really <laughs> perfect let me explain let me explain about lime because i love lime so lime when it's wet is it is a very base um it, it's it's not acidic it's very base and so it's got a ph well depending on the lime it's got a ph of between 12 and 13 and so when it's wet you have to have certain protective measures doesn't sit on your skin and slowly kind of erode it. Uh, but then once it's dry, it actually then cures, sets and cures and returns to limestone is completely inert. So when I'm applying lime or uh, hempcrete or lime plaster, I'm wearing gloves. 
I'm probably wearing goggles if I'm making a lime plaster. Uh, and I usually have long pants and long shirt and close-toed shoes. But when I once it's once it's set, I can rub my hands on it. I can lean up against it. I can put my face on it. It's all good. Um, and it's not it's not going to attract uh, dirt or uh, insects or pests or mold. It's just it's actually if if you've ever been into an old barn. And you see the you see the barn walls are painted in white. They've been lime washed, and the reason that they that this was done back in the turn of the century, all the way up to modern day, is because lime is antibacterial, and so it's a way to make sure that it's super hygienic. And so you you end up with a material that starts out caustic, but then is inert and very safe and healthy for you. Awesome. Are you able to add any pigment to the to the lime to change colors? Absolutely. Um, it, it works really well with oxides. So any of the reds, oranges, browns, it can work with um, the some, some cobalts and some greens, but you want to make sure sometimes the, the lime, specifically with the blues, can... Um, it, it will fade over time. So you've got to check that. But anything in the, in the warm oxide palette, you're golden. Now you mentioned that, you know, lime is antimicrobial and so is hemp. So building with the two of those, it really seems like, you know, you're, you're truly reducing the possibility of parasite or parasites or, you know, any bugs or anything getting in there or mold or anything like that, correct? Yeah, and I would say that the lime is actually better at that than the okay. hemp because it's okay. just any any cellulostic material has um, it has cells that are not necessarily attractive but have places to kind of connect to, for lack of a better word. Um, although when you when we talk about different cellulostic materials, hemp is certainly on one end of the spectrum compared to straw, for example, uh, or even wood. So it, it's, it's, I'm pausing a little bit because I, 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 I want to clarify and specify, but I also don't have the level of specificity that I want to be able to give you for this. So bear okay. with me. Yep. No problem. So let me ask you something. When we're talking about, we're talking about this hemp and hempcrete, and then I hear something called embodied carbon. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if most uh, listeners have heard about that. I don't know if most building professionals have heard of it, mm. let alone lay people. Yeah. So it's, um, it's embodied carbon is a simplified way of trying to quantify the ecological impact of using a material and uh, or creating the material up until it's until it's installed in this case if we're talking about embodied carbon in a building we're talking about the the total ecological footprint to either extract that material if it's a fossil fuel based material for example mm-hmm. and then manufacture it and then transport it to site. Now, if it's a plant-based material, let's go back to the very beginning. So it's, what is the ecological footprint of growing that plant? So putting it in the ground, weeding it if it needs to, putting herbicide or pesticide if that's what your plants need or that's what your farmer decides to do, and then harvesting and then processing that in whatever way it needs to be processed, manufactured, processed, whatever, and then transporting to site. So there is a certain amount of ecological footprint for all those processes. Mm-hmm. And, and that, if you're looking at, if you're a building professional, you're looking at that as part of the very beginning of what we call a life cycle or a life cycle analysis of the total ecological footprint of a building material or product. Mm-hmm. And so embodied carbon is just that finite amount of, uh, ecological footprint from inception, extraction, or, um, or production, and manufacture, and then to get to site. Whereas once, 
So if you're in a, if you're in a building, imagine we're in a building and you can see the walls, you see the windows, you see doors, you see finished trim. Uh, we're not going to talk about furniture, but you know, you see the whole building around you. All of those products have an ecological footprint just to get to the point where they're actually in, where you're seeing them in the wall. And then once we have people and plants and pets and everything that lives in a, a building, then there's more ecological footprint that is for the heating and cooling and use and living um, part of a building. And that will continue for the rest of the building's life as long as it has any people or plants or pets living yeah. in it. I say those because I have all three of those in my house wherever I go. So <laughs> I think everybody does. Same here. <laughs> um, so when I'm talking about embodied carbon, oh, well, let, me, let me back up and just say, oftentimes when we're talking about energy efficiency or if people are talking about um, the footprint, they're thinking, they're oftentimes talking about, well, what am I, I'm a human being, what am I doing? And what's my ecological footprint, whether I'm in a building, or I'm flying, or I'm in a car, or I'm walking down the road, or whatever, like, what's that ecological footprint? And that is what we would call operational carbon in the context of a building, we would call it operational carbon. And that, as I mentioned, continues. And there's a finite amount of operational carbon year after year after year after year after year. Whereas with the embodied carbon, you basically spend a lot of ecological footprint to make all those materials and get them into the building to create that envelope to be that, that shell that then you live in and then spend more energy operationally to maintain. And what's very very important right now, right this moment, is that the ecological footprint that we experience or that we put into building a building is an immediate, you, you basically spend that ecological footprint very quickly. And it's a lot of, it's a, it's a lot of carbon footprint or ecological footprint in a very short time to build that building. Now the challenge, and that's fine because you know, then you use it for the next, hopefully you build a building that lasts several hundred years. I mean, that's the whole point of natural building is that you build for several hundred years, not for 30, which is kind of what we do now as, a, as an industry. And so the challenge is that right now we have this little thing called a global climate crisis and it's ramping up very quickly. In fact, exponentially, day upon day upon day. So it's really bad. And so what happens is that this is a critical time because if you're spending a lot of ecological footprint to build a new house compared to a little bit of ecological footprint to maintain an existing house, you're actually having a bigger impact when you build new or you renovate significantly than you would if you just kind of left things as they are. Now, it's really kind of a timestamp. Like, don't get me wrong, both matter. And we've actually done, as a building industry, we've done a really good job getting our operational carbon down significantly compared to what we used to do. I mean, we used to not insulate walls at all. We used to have airflow through. You could like literally see outside <laughs> if you were in a building. Like we don't do that anymore. Um, but right now, because of where we're at, we have basically some scientists, some, some people say we have five years. Some people say we have 10 years. I think they're trying to be nice and hopeful. We're basically past our ability to really turn the dial back. And we're just trying to make as much of an ecological difference as we can in as short a time as possible. And so what we found is that embodied carbon is having a moment in the building industry because we are seeing that we've done a really good job dealing with our operational carbon making it so that things are insulated and that there's reasonable airflows. I mean, that's all in building code at this point. I mean, you can't build a building that has more than three air changes per hour at 50 pascals anymore in this state. You just can't. And that's a huge deal. Um, so we've codified that. That means it's in the law. It's in regulations. People are doing it. They are, build, they are insulating. They have to have a certain minimum of insulation. They have to have a certain air tightness. 
we are using less energy than we've ever used in our buildings since World War II. And that's amazing. But we're at this critical point where we have to be thinking also about the materials. And here's why natural building materials are having their special moment. Because if you take a plant that is local, renewable, and abundant, and you sustainably or reasonably harvest it, and then you plant more, then suddenly you have a material that by its very nature created its cellular structure by absorbing carbon from the atmosphere. And then you take that stored carbon that's been extracted out of the atmosphere and turned into cellulose that is wood or hemp or straw or canaf or any of these plant-based natural building materials and you store them in the building they don't rot Mm. and so that means they're not getting turned in the field their carbon is not getting released through microorganisms and through decay it is simply being stored now full disclosure Eventually, it will rot. If that house is left and the roof caves in, eventually those materials will rot, whether that's in 50 years or 100 years or in some cases of straw bales that straw bale houses that have been around in Nebraska for 250 years, maybe 250 years for some of the timber frames that have been around in England and Europe for a thousand years. Maybe it's a thousand years. But anytime you take a cellulose, a plant based material, you put it in a building and you and you store it, you are storing carbon, you are locking it away. And that is why embodied carbon and specifically plant based Uh, building materials are having their moment right now. Awesome. Now I want to go back to how you said that, you know, we're, we're using less energy since world war two. How can per house per house, per per house. We have so many more people. That's a (laughs) whole different. (laughs) Of course, you know, as, as our population grows, but how can using a hemp house reduce that energy usage even more? So, In order to answer that question, we have to think about the properties of what hempcrete is. Hempcrete is a medium density material. That means it's not super lightweight. It's not as dense as concrete. So concrete, if you put the sun on it and you let it sit there, it it basically acts like a rock. It is a rock. So it is a rock. So think about a rock. You're in Mm -hmm. nature, you're outside, sun's out and you sit on the rock and it's like, it's burning hot. That's thermal mass. And it will continue to stay hot. Even as the temperature, as the sun goes down, it will still be warm. And then eventually it will slowly dissipate that heat. That's called thermal mass. So insulation is the exact opposite. Like if you think of fiberglass or Mm -hmm. cellulose or even rock wool or mineral wool, um, it has one job that it's very, very simple. Its job is to restrict air from moving from point A, which is one side of the wall, to point B, the other side of the wall. It's a dumb material. All it has to do is one simple thing. That's all it's got to do. And it has no thermal storing capacity at all. All it does is try to block. And so what hempcrete does is because of the lime, it's, it's it's a mineral. And so it's heavy, it's dense. It has some thermal storing capacity. And the hemp itself because of its cellulosic structure and the, the spaces within the cell within its cellular structure has it acts as the insulation it only has one job and it's to basically keep air from moving from point a to point b whether it's in that single herd of material or across the entire hempcrete wall assembly and so it's doing two things and so you can't really compare it to fiberglass or to cellulose you can't compare it to concrete because those both materials are at different ends of the spectrums, but they're each doing one thing. This one is doing two. That's why we call it a biocomposite because it is doing two different things. And that um, amalgamation of two different functions in one material gives it a unique property. And what that looks like or feels like is that if you're in a, if you're in a space like a hempcrete building, then you are having a material that is keeping the air out or keeping airflow from one point to the other point within the assembly. And it's also storing heat. And so, and it's, there's, it's doing a third thing, which has to do with moisture, but we're, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, and so 
as it's storing heat, so it can store heat from the daytime and then release it at night. And so the result, it has a diurnal um, cycle, which means that it has a little bit of a thermal delay between when it starts to absorb heat and then it disperses that heat. And so what you end up feeling inside the house is very comfortable. And the reason that you're comfortable is because it's, it's regulating that heat shift between day and night in, within the envelope of the building. And there's a third piece, which is the moisture piece, which is important to add, but can get a little bit of con confusing. So we can feel comfortable based on how warm or cold it is. We can also feel comfortable based on how humid it is in a building. We can, like, for, for example, I live, I used to live in Missouri and it was, 85 or 90 degrees and the sun was blazing and it was 95% humidity and I was yeah. miserable. And I'd go to Albuquerque and it'd be 110 and it'd probably be 20 or 30% humidity. And I was like, this is fine. And what is that about? How's that even possible? I don't understand. <laughs> it's really about the humidity. It's really. And so what happens if you're in, if you're in a climate that has high humidity, you, it's called the wet bulb temperature basically. And it's, you can, you can handle less heat the more moist the air is. We just mm -hmm. feel less comfortable as the temperature rises if there's more humidity. And so what happens with a hempcrete wall, and this is going to sound scary, but I promise it's okay. The lime will actually absorb humidity, and so will the hemp will actually absorb humidity and then release it as the ambient humidity around it, whether that's inside the envelope, meaning inside the building itself or outside is lower. Now, I know that sounds scary because people say, wait a minute. Okay, so wait a minute. This is absorbing humidity. Isn't, there, isn't it going to rot? And there's two things to know. One, let's just go back to the very earlier in the conversation where I said, hemp actually has a higher resistance to rot than any other cellulosic material. So it's exceedingly resistant to rot. And this is why it's so hard to grow or to process hemp because mm -hmm. it just, it, you can't, pro it's super hard. And the other piece is that there's a difference between what's called bulk moisture or like imagine a drop of water. There's a difference between water that's in liquid form and the water that's in air form. Mm -hmm. And water that's in liquid form rots buildings. I'm sure every one of your listeners has some horror story about some place where there's rot in their building because we build out of wood and wood rots when it has bulk moisture touching it. So that's, that's just our reality. But there is, um, it's a different story when you're talking about the vapor. Water vapor mm. doesn't have the same rotting capacity. And so what I'm saying is that a hempcrete wall can absorb humidity and then release it over time without damaging the integrity of the wall. And the result is that you feel more comfortable. It might be 75 in there, but instead of being 65% humidity, it's 35 or 45% humidity and you feel more comfortable. Awesome. So can you share with us your experience um, building that first hemp home in Massachusetts? Yeah, what do you want to know? <laughs> Well, I mean, how did the project to come to be? And um, well, did you learn story. some stuff along the way? <laughs> oh, we always learn stuff. Of course. I mean, right? Okay, so I've been, I've been doing this for 20 years, right? Mm -hmm. I've been doing natural building for 20 years. And I have to say, it's probably true with any industry, but I'm, uh, I feel like I learn as much today as I was learning the first year and the fifth year and the 10th year and the 15th year, just That's because awesome. <laughs> it's... It, it, and maybe it's just my personality, but mm. I'm always looking to learn and to grow. And there's always more to know and things evolve and change. Like even just, for example, three years ago, I never touched hemp. And now we have our very first hempcrete house in Massachusetts. We're 
finding sourcing and supply that's actually within the United States that's viable, which is super exciting. So there's always progress. So there's always more to learn. But the, the story about how the first hempcrete house came to fruition was actually, it's a pretty great story. Um, so the guy who is building it for his family, Shelby Holland, he was actually my boss way back <laughs> in the day. And, um, and I had come from this little place called Dancing Rabbit Eco Village, uh, where I'd spent 12 years growing an intentional community from the ground up with, with a whole bunch of my friends. And we, we were building all sorts of stuff. We were building timber frames. We were building straw bales. We were building the ramblers, all those different things that I was telling you about. We were doing mm -hmm. all this experimentation. And I came out to the New England and I didn't know how to build with anything conventional. I'd never used vinyl. I'd never used OSB. I'd never used zip sheathing. I didn't use pressure treated lumber, like none of this. It was all new. And so I went to work for Shelby and his, his, he had actually taken the company over from his mom, which was, uh, she was a lot like me. She had wanted, she had, she would kind of do things in the natural building realm um, but he was trying to make a production company out of it. And so he was more doing using conventional material, building materials. So it was my first time to use any of these new materials. But I think I got under his skin because I was like, you know, really, you should be doing some natural building. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? You shifted and, his view a little. <laughs> his view. And so, you know, we were working together and sometimes we can. I mean, I have to hand it to Shelby. So he's... Um, there's a culture out here in Western Massachusetts, especially the Hilltown culture. It's kind of a, it's a make do with what you got. And I, and that's basically what natural builders are. We've natural builders have existed since shelter started, you know, since we've had shelter, we've had natural builders and it's basically what's available, what's abundant and what can we then sustain to use again. And so Shelby already had all these great connections with local um, sawyers and, um, and foresters and folks that were using the abundant resources that were here, which is basically timber and stone. So he already knew that he wanted, he was building with a timber frame. And, um, and I heard about Tom, I told you the story about hearing about Tom and Tom basically said, do you want to do natural building? And I said, oh yes, that's me. I'm in. <laughs> so I told Shelby, I love you, but I got to do some natural building. This pressure treated lumber is killing me. <laughs> it's killing me. So, so I left and I started, I started Hempstone with, with Tom and old Shelby ended up becoming our, the very first person in Western Ma or in all of Massachusetts to build because he saw when we, when we started working with hempcrete, he saw the potential. He also recognized that it's not local. It is abundant and it is renewal, but, it, but it's not local, but it, that it has the potential, especially with the change in the federal regulations and the fact that we are coalescing as a vibrant community of hemp uh, processors and farmers and builders and designers to create a... A, a new way of doing things. And it's like, you know, I'm sure you've talked about this uh, throughout your podcast. You're, you're illustrating all these different products that can be made from one plant. And we have to remember, and we, we can say the same thing about wood. We can say the same thing. I mean, think about corn. Think about how ubiquitous corn and soy is or peanuts. All of these things started with, with, you know, way, way long ago with the very simple mindset. Oh, look, I grow corn. Maybe I'll make some popcorn. I have corn on the cob and popcorn. And now we've got corn syrup and, you know, the list goes on. That's the potential for hemp. Mm -hmm. And so he saw it, he recognized it. And I think what really sold him was he is a musician and he realized that his grand piano that was going to get inherited to his wife and his violins would be safe in a building that was uh, had humidity, natural humidity control. And when he realized that you could have a superior thermal envelope, meaning a much better uh, temperature and consistent te consistent temperature and humidity throughout your envelope just by the just by building it. It's not about mechanical ventilation. Mm -hmm. It's not about it's not about throwing more electricity at it later, just by its very nature. The, the makeup of the walls have 
created a building that he feels comfortable putting heirloom musical instruments in. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, I want a building that does that naturally. I don't want to be spending money having to maintain a building, having to heat it and cool it and regulate the humidity. Because the truth is, we are all, every single one of us, we are all in a building that is going to be performing very differently in 10 years and in 20 years and in 30 years. Every building that we build right now for whatever climate we think we're in is not going to be the same climate that it's going to be in in 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so this is the thing that fundamentally concerns me about building the way that we do in, in our dominant industry, which is basically you super insul or you insulate it and you put a piece of plastic somewhere within that assembly and you hope and you pray that you put it in the right place so that that vapor, that water vapor doesn't hit and condense that piece of plastic, turn into water and then rot whatever material is right next to that plastic. Mm -hmm. That's how we build. And in a, and in a world where we have a changing climate and our humidity is changing and our temperatures are changing, we can no longer trust that those buildings are going to perform in the future the way that they're performing now. And so natural building materials, by their very nature, are what we call a vapor open assembly. They do not have plastic anywhere in the assembly. They specifically rely on the inherent properties of the materials throughout the assembly to move that moisture safely from point A to point B. That's wonderful. So he does he really love his new hemp house that you guys built for him? He does. He really <laughs> does. He's like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty adorable. He's 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 a young guy. He's in his he's probably 29 or 30. But when I when he talks about his building, oh and here's the other thing. So he liked it so much that he's starting another company. So his his mom's gave him his mom kind of gave him the company. He kind of started running it. So he runs it with his brother and his mom still works there and they all kind of run it as a family business. But now he's so excited about hempcrete that he's starting another company. So basically he's going to give village carpentry to his brother um, and let him run it. And he wants to start a company called Highland walls, which is just panelized walls made of hempcrete specifically to make it more affordable to be able to build in this way. And, and, and so what I mean by panelized is just simply, if we can modularize, modularize <laughs> the, um, the construction, make it simple, because there's some challenges with hempcrete. If you do cast in place, you've got a, a long drying time. And if we can instead use panels or blocks, then we can cut down the, the installation time and, the, and there is no drying time on site. And we can actually build efficiently and effectively. And so he's, he's super sold on hempcrete. I mean, he's so sold that he's starting a whole new company. So yeah. And it's, so it's really exciting. I mean, what are the chances that our first client would be say, our, the first building in Massachusetts would be so successful that then now he's wanting to start a whole new business specifically based on hempcrete. Well, and that's awesome. You did exactly what, you know, you know, what all of us are wanting to do is really make that impact on somebody to make them, you know, have a passion for it and change their mind and get involved in it. So there is, you know, another person that's now in the hemp industry. That's amazing. Yeah. It's <laughs> pretty cool. You. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. But I will, I have to, I have to tell you, Nicole, so <laughs> I, I am a, I am a hempcrete advocate. I am a hemp advocate, but I'm really a natural building advocate. And when it mm -hmm. makes sense, to use a different local abundant renewable material, I really strongly encourage people to think about that because there, I think of hempcrete as one tool in a toolbox mm -hmm. and there are lots of tools in the toolbox. I really like my hammer, but it doesn't help me get a screw in the wall, you know? <laughs> and so, so I use my hammer for nails. I love them. That's the perfect tool. But sometimes if I, if I have to use a different tool, that's okay. And I think what's really, really awesome, the real awesome thing about natural building materials is that they're complementary. 
For example, let's go back to Shelby's house. Shelby has a timber frame, hempcrete wall house. For the ceiling, he chose blown cellulose. Now, blown cellulose is ubiquitous. It's a recycled material. You can find it anywhere. You can find installers anywhere. It's cheap. It's simple. It's it's kind, you know, it's a dumb material. All it does is one thing. It's just insulating. Um, but it's accessible and it has a it has a carbon beneficial impact on the building, which me, which is basically like all plant-based materials, they store more carbon than they cost to produce and get to site. So anytime you're putting local wood, anytime you're putting cellulose or hempcrete or wood fiberboard or any or studs stud framing if you go with a t- typical wood framing instead of um instead of like steel framing because some some developers now are using steel framing i don't know why but they do but every time you use a wood-based material or not a wood-based a cellulose-based material you're actually having a positive carbon effect and that's what we need to really be doing right now and some are obviously better than others uh for example I know this is hemp, but we're going to talk wood just for a second. Bear with me. If you get wood that is comes from Western United States or Southern United States, and it's been extracted in a sort of um, uh, just, we're going to just take every single piece of wood down and we're not thinking about how it's been harvested, that can actually have a net negative carbon impact, meaning it costs more carbon to harvest and transport that wood, then you get the benefit from. So it does really, it matters where you get your wood and how it's certified. So the easiest way, if I were, if I were thinking about, well, what are the things that I could do today as a builder, as a designer to lower my embodied carbon? Sure, huge hempcrete. If that's the right thing, please use it. I love it call me, give me a call. If straw bale is the right thing, use that. But if you're building in a city and you have tight regulations, the simplest thing to do is find local lumber, find local lumber or find FSC or SFI lumber, meaning those are two different kinds of certification designations. Find lumber from your local Home Depot. They, They sell them, I promise. They sell FSC and SFI lumber. And use cellulose in your walls instead of fiberglass. And you will have, in that part of the assembly, a net carbon beneficial building. And so every time you think about your any part of your building, whether if you switch from drywall, this is, Shelby did this. He switched from drywall to local sustainably harvested pine. In fact, it's some, some of the stuff that he had had to clear off his site. And he switched from being a negative um, or a carbon emitter building to a carbon beneficial building, not just because of the hempcrete, but because of the cellulose and the wood fiberboard and the hardwood flooring that he got from his site that he had planed down and the, and the pine boards that he used instead of drywall. It was all five of those things that worked together to really make a significant carbon impact on that uh, carbon footprint impact on that building. Wow. That's amazing. Well, I have one last question for you. What is your vision for hemp in the future? So I think the potential for hemp is to do the two things that I've kind of touched on, but I'm going to elaborate more more clearly. One is building resilience in our building stock. So that as much as we can move from a vapor-closed plastic industry uh, and assembly to a vapor open natural building assembly model, we can adapt to the changes that are coming mm-hmm. to, our, to our local environment and uh, due to climate change. So that's a big one. Uh, and, it's, and it's a little tricky because as a, as a building industry, we have codified the idea of closing up our buildings as tight as possible, mostly using plastic to do that, although you don't have to, Um, in order to lower that operational carbon. I'm not suggesting that we poke holes in our walls and that we have significant airflow. I can get, all of us can get high-performance natural buildings that meet passive house-level standards, which means 0.6 
0.06 change air changes per hour instead of three air changes per hour, mm-hmm. which is our code minimum in the state. So it's totally possible to do. So that's the first piece, the resilience. The second piece is that as we start to think about using plants again in our building environment, and we start to think about what the carrying capacity is in our local regions, we have the possibility and the potential to change or to turn on its head the way that we buy products. And so if suddenly, instead of importing materials from Europe and getting zip sheathing um, from Huber, which is West Coast, and I don't know where their plastic comes from, but uh, other than the ground, I know it comes from the ground. Um, (laughs) Who knows where? (laughs) Somewhere where there's oil being made. So probably not very close. Um, if we're if we're instead employing our foresters to to sustainably manage our woods, and if we're uh, if we're employing our local sawyers to 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 saw local lumber, and if we're employing our or we're making a living wage for our farmers to grow something that's not a commodity item. Mm-hmm. And then we have the potential to, to build up our local communities. And it's not about isolationism. It's about, it's about resiliency and it's about stewardship. Because quite honestly, we do a much better job as a species of taking care of what's in front of us than we do about taking care of something that's on the other side of the planet. So if I'm getting my building materials from the trees that are across the street and from the farmer that's down the road, I care more about making sure that they're treating their land with respect, they're getting treated with respect, and that my house, I'm treating my house with respect. And it's part of the bigger circle of life. So it's about, it's about not rebuilding our communities, but sustaining our communities, uh, enlivening our communities, bringing back craft and trade and resilience into our local population yeah absolutely awesome now jennifer where can people find you at we are at hempstone.net and in fact we have a weekly blog that talks about uh, hempcrete and other natural building materials and i try to keep it so that it's super informative and useful for not only just lay folks but also building professionals as well. So it's news you can use in the natural building world. Please check it out. Right awesome. on. Well, thank you so much, Sharon, for, for sharing your passion about the natural building world. We appreciate, we appreciate you, our listener, for tuning into the Hemp Empowerment Project, where our goal is to share amazing opportunities within the hemp industry and how it can change your life. Please subscribe to this podcast so you're always in the know. Have a great day.